And so what we're going to do today is we're going to cap off this series, and, um, and, and we're going to do something at the end of our series that we don't normally do, but I want you to begin to get your heart ready for it. If you were here today and you're still drudging through this idea of anxiety and depression, at the end of our time today, we're going to do something that this message is going to help you understand, but it's going to be something that you have to decide in and of yourself that you're willing to take this step in form of your anxiety, okay? Here's the promise. The promise in this series has been this, okay? When it comes to anxiety, the big truth of the series is simply this, is anxiety is an opportunity to draw closer to God. You've heard us say that every single week. It's the big truth in this series. Anytime you face anxiety, you have an opportunity to draw closer to God. But I want you to look at me and I want to pause here. Let me ask you something. Is God near you right now? Is he near? Not a trick question. If you say, God, I need you near, is God there? So why do we say anxiety is an opportunity to draw close to God if God is already near? Why do we say that? Here's why. Because God is not the one who draws away. We are the ones who draw away. When anxiety comes, if we don't push ourselves to prayer, like we talked about, if we don't go to God, then what happens is, is we begin to come over here in the form of anxiety and all this stuff, and we try to fix these issues going on separate from God. So what we have to understand is when anxiety comes, it's an opportunity for me to say, look, God is near. Look at Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Would you say rejoice with me? Then it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And here it is. The Lord is near. That's a great promise. He's always near. Sometimes, though, because of our hearts, our motives, our issues, we pull away. But here's the promise, that when anxiety comes, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with God, I'm sorry, with Thanksgiving, present your request to God. Begin to have a conversation, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why is this so important to us, and why is it so important to Paul? Well, We've, we've discovered that Paul had a dream to go to Rome. And upon getting to Rome, he realized that if he can get to Rome and preach the gospel, that the world would change. For Rome at that time was the powerhouse in the world. All of the commerce came through Rome. All of the influential people lived in Rome. So Paul knew that if I can go to Rome and preach, I can influence powerful people who would then turn around and help shape the world with the power of the gospel. So Paul was excited about this. But if you've joined us, you know the story. Paul gets to Rome, and what do they do? They stick him in prison. He thought he was going to be a preacher, but he gets to Rome, and he finds out he's a prisoner. But the great news is, is in prison, they lock him up with a different guard every eight hours. And what does Paul do? Preaches the gospel to every guard in that place. You couldn't take the preacher out of the man no matter where he was. Well, why is that so important? Because when you get to Philippians 4, this is when he's saying it. He's literally saying, here was my goal. Here was my dream. Oh, it didn't happen. Think about this. He doesn't know where his next meal's coming from. He doesn't know when he's going to be released. He doesn't know that in the next 10 minutes he could be killed. Yet he says, rejoice. Powerful words powerful perspective. 
So there's, there he is kind of going that. So here's what I want to do now. That's one time Paul's in prison. The Bible records Paul was very good at going to prison, okay? <laughs> Paul was in lockup quite often, okay? If they did a show today, they would put him on locked up, and he'd be there. That's just Paul. Let me take you to another time, though. And this is where we're going to get our content from today. Another time where Paul was in prison and something takes place. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Notice, praying and singing hymns, songs. And other prisoners were listening to them. Man, Paul just could not keep his mouth shut. Whether he's preaching to guards or singing to a bunch of guys. Man, Paul, man, Paul was like the guy you want to be like. I just want to be like Paul. I know they say I want to be like Mike. Uh Uh-uh. I want to be like Paul. He's singing. The prisoners are listening. Watch here. Suddenly, there was uh, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And all at once, the prisoner doors flew open. And here's the best part. Everyone's chains came loose. There's so many things I could preach in this passage. You want to know what I love? Because of one man, actually two, Sai, his sidekick, two people decided we're going to pray and we're going to sing. Everyone got free. Listen, you never know who's going to be set free when you decide to pray and to worship God in the midst of your hard times. You never know what chains are going to fall off. That's another message for another day. So let me give you the title of the message today. Ready? Write this down. Perspective change. That's what we're talking about today. When your anxiety comes, here's what you need. Last week, you need prayer. You need to pray. What do we need today? Perspective change. You need to have your perspective change. Here's the questions. How could Paul rejoice when he's locked up? It's a good question. How could he praise God when he wanted to preach, but he goes to bed a prisoner? Another great question. What's the answer? Perspective. Look at your neighbor and say, perspective. Okay. What does perspective mean? Here's what it means. Perspective very simply means how you see something. It's how you see it. Now, have you noticed two people can sometimes see two different things when looking at one object? Have you noticed that? If you're married in here, you should be nodding your head yes. Because you see it one way, she sees it another way. You guys will remember this, and you'll have a good kick out of this, but a while back, and I know there's a newer one out, but I wanted to go back to where the originated one. Back in the day, there was a, um, an image that was going all across the internet, and it was a dress. It looked a little bit like this. You remember this? And the question was, is it blue and black, or is it white and gold? Okay? Who thinks it's blue and black? Show your hands. Wow, the one cop in the room is not lifting his hands. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Okay? Who thinks it's white and gold? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Has anybody seen the new one? We don't have it, but have you seen the new one with the shoes? Okay, same concept. Okay, look, look, look. I believe when I'm looking at it, man, I see white and gold all day long. And because I'm up here, that means it's gospel and it's right and you're wrong. There comes that competitive nature coming out again. Man, that's, that's so white and gold. But all you blue and black people, here's the deal. Ready? Here's the deal. You've got a different perspective. And your perspective's wrong. Okay, look at this. One object. It's a dress. Inside of this room, two different perspectives. Right? 
We see this all the time. We could see this in world events. We could see this issues with people. We can see this in behavior. You know, like, like sometimes dads, you know you're guilty of this. Be, be honest. Mom is trying to put the foot down. This is the yes and the no in our house, and we're not going to do this. And, and if you're in my house, it usually revolves around sugar. And so you think, well, man, I tell you what, it's Saturday. It's donut day. Sugar. And then you have dinner that night. Well, babe, it's the weekend. we got to have dinner and dessert sugar. And then, well, babe, it's Sunday. It's the Lord's day. It's man, lunch sugar. And she's over there going, cavity, 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 braces. And you're like, ah, my perspective is like, but yeah, babe, it's a good time. And she's like, no, it's not. Bling, 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 bling. Two different perspectives. We all got them. You got a different perspective. I've got a different perspective. It's always a matter of perspective. So when it comes to anxiety and when those times comes, here's what I'm saying to you. You ready? It's all a matter of perspective. When it comes to your life, and it could hit today on your way home from something. It could hit today when you're at Starbucks just getting some coffee and someone runs into your vehicle and Jason said, okay, I was hoping for an amen perspective change, but he's like, oh, (laughs) brother, you need to listen to today's message, man. Perspective. Listen, the apostle Paul could have looked at his situation at face value and he could have said, you know what? This is really bad. This isn't good. Man, this is really getting my anxiety to flare up. How can I function? My ministry is over. My my dreams are crushed. He could have had that perspective. But we read scriptures, he didn't. In fact, what I want to do is I want to show you a scripture that I think is probably very close to what he actually said. But I'm going to share it from a, um, a version that you may not know. Now, how many of you guys read the NIV, NIV readers? How about uh, New King James? How about the original King Jimmy? Anybody? Okay. NLT? Anybody's got NLT? How many of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about right now? Be honest, you're in church. That's a, okay, we had one hand praying for you. It's versions of the Bible, okay? So there's, listen, if, if you've got software, there are so many versions of the Bible. It's, it's different. And what that is, let me just clarify it. It's different ways of them translating the Bible through time and culture. Now, we're not going to get into all the other stuff. There is some danger to that. And listen, I'm your pastor. I will help you guide through there. I think there are certain translations where you have to be very, very careful. But I want to read to you today maybe a version that you haven't heard before. And it's called the BPV. Everyone say B-P-V. Okay, it's called the Bad Perspective Version. Okay, here's what the Apostle Paul could have said. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me really sucks. My God let me down. I'm overwhelmed with anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And because of all the hell I've been through, I'm quitting midweek groups, no more community for me, and I'm never going back to church. It's the bad perspective version. Community with other believers, not done. Not being a fully devoted follower. I mean, that could have been the Apostle Paul's attitude. He had all this stuff going on. And he could have said, I'm so sorry if if there's a couple words in there that are a little bit too much. Okay, I'm sorry about that. But that could have been his perspective. But but it wasn't. He had a different perspective. Let me read it to you, Philippians 1.12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, watch here, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, 
It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Proper perspective. Listen, I'm not minimizing anybody's anxiety in here. Surely not minimizing mine. Okay, but I don't think you've been left for dead. I don't think scripturally that you've been stripped of your clothing and beat like the Apostle Paul was. Now again, not minimizing, because some of you, what you've gone through is difficult. I get it. But how in the world is a man who is snake-bitten, beaten, left for dead, shipwrecked, floating in the ocean, put in prison time and time and time and time again, able to say that right there? Perspective. You gotta have the right perspective. What's so powerful is that this isn't the first time the Apostle Paul was, was actually in prison. And I made mention to that. We, we talked about it before. He's been in prison multiple times. But in Acts chapter 16, the story we just read, Paul and Silas, they're going, we can call it their midweek group. They're going to Wednesday night midweek group. They're going to a place of prayer. And there's a woman who's possessed with an evil spirit. And when they cast the evil spirit out of this woman, out of this woman a gang fight breaks out, a huge riot, and they end up being arrested. When you go back and read the story before, what Paul, before the whole earthquake and chains falling off, the apostle Paul, are, they're, they're doing literally ministry. And actually what's, what's crazy is it's actually the religious people that threw him into prison. Much like when Jesus would do something good, it would be the religious people to take a shot at Jesus. How dare you do that on the Sabbath? And how dare you do that? And don't you know this? And, and what did Jesus always respond to them? He called them broods and vipers and snakes. Called them religious. Listen to me. Friends, don't have a religious spirit in you. Doesn't go too far. And everyone said, amen. So here's the deal. At this point, all they do is they cast a demon out of a woman. And man, a riot breaks out. That's what got them into the prison in this. So, so I want you just for a moment to try and visualize this, okay? They're in prison, maybe a broken nose, perhaps maybe a couple broken ribs, wiping dried blood off. I mean, we're talking like severely beaten, laying on a cold floor, and they're in this situation. So what do they decide to do? Well, this could be one of them. Okay, this could be, we'll call it Psy, Okay. Paul and Silas, we've got a short sigh. Maybe with sigh, Paul, whatever the case may be, you read the story. Like, just beat. And all of a sudden, one of them goes, hey, I got an idea. I have a sad. Worship night? Sounds good. You want to start the song? Yeah, I got it. And they start singing hymns. Think about it. Put yourself in there. That, that's, like, that's like you coming home, finding out that your spouse has cancer and has three months to live. And in that moment, you take a step back and you go, would you like to pray and sing songs? That's the equivalent of what's going on here. 
Think of the hardest day you've had in your life. Think about it. Some of you are like, you've got it right now. And just imagine two minutes later saying, hey, I think I have an idea. We should probably pray and sing. That's what took place here. This past week, I, I went over to the house of Ruth, Ruth Bland. Now, normally, she would sit right here. That's probably why I tempted you today, because she's not here right now. And many of you guys would notice I would do this every single week. I'd meet and greet, ah, ah, across the aisle, say hello. I was like, forget you all. And I'd go straight to Ruth. And every single week, she was my, I call, I don't really believe in good luck. You guys have heard my stance on that one. Luck is for losers, favor for the righteous. And so, except for when your seven-year-old says that at school, and then you get a call from the principal. <laughs> Fun conversation. And so I'd come over here, and I'd say, Ruth, I, I love you. And she'd say, I love you too, Pastor. Every single week was my favorite thing to do. And so this past week, I got a text message from her daughter, Joy, and Patricia, 103 or 104? 101. Whew, a couple years off. There go those preachers exaggerating again. And so I went over to the home, and at that time they had said, you know, we're, we started, they started hospice care, and mighty, mighty woman of God. But she was having some anxiety, and they actually had some medication for her. And that moment when I was out there, and I was with her, had my hand, she was you know, pretty tired, not really responsive, not really talking much, and her anxiety hit. And when her anxiety hit, her whole body would begin to move and she began to make some noise. And let me tell you what helped. I put my hand, and I'm not going to sing for you guys, I only sing for her because, well, she's in heaven now, but I figured maybe she can't hear me, I don't know. And so I put my hand on top of her head and I began to sing a hymn. You want to know what happened? Instantly stopped. Instantly. Anxiety flared up. And boom. God's word. God's song. Calmed. You know, this isn't in my notes, but I think it's worth mentioning. If you're battling anxiety, can I just say maybe on your phone or in your car or however, why don't you get a song? For some of us, I say this all the time, I'm kind of an old soul. I was raised Southern Gospel. I know all the hymns. I know all the Gaither vocal bands. I got them all. My mama's amen to me right now. <laughs> it's just my jam. Some of you, like, listen, in my truck, we can go from, like, straight hardcore rock, melt your face off, to the very next minute, oh, you know, I mean, I could tell you a list of songs, but um, old school hymns. I mean, poor Timmy, he's been in vehicles with me before. He's like, what did we just go to? I'm like, just go with the flow, man. Road trip. Go with the flow. We're, on our, we're, we're heading down to L.A. tonight. We're, we're leaving for Israel tomorrow, and I've already got, I've got to determine that they're going to hear some songs that I have on my phone. So be ready for that, Lori. It's going to be great. Um, so she's got some, too. There you go. And Vanessa the whole time is going to be going, jeez. And I'm the guy who doesn't let a song finish. You know, oh, you got to hear this song. Verse, chorus. Oh, you got to hear this song. Verse, chorus. Come on, don't look at me that way. I know I'm the worst. I'm like, you can't finish up. But here's what I, gosh, I get sidetracked so easily. Uh, so what I'm saying is, get a song. Okay, but, but hear, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear, hear me. Paul and them probably felt anxiety. They're human, they're flesh. They prayed and they sang him. I want to just give you one point today, okay? Just one point to help you with your anxiety. H here it is. 
How do I change my perspective? One, one point. Think of what you do have going for you instead of what you don't. A little long. We'll leave it up on the screen. Some of you are already taking pictures because you're cool like that. Think of what you do have going for you instead of what you don't. Now, in the midst of incredible anxiety over the past three years in my life personally, this has been the one thing that brings me back to a place of, of center or of less anxiety, okay? Here's, here's my list, okay? I have God, and I know he's for me. I have Jesus in my heart. I've confessed him as Lord. I've got a wife. I've got two boys. I've got a family that actually wants something to do with me, some of them. The other ones, maybe not. I have a purpose. God's called me to be a pastor. I've got friends to live life with and make fun of and then make fun of me. I've got a passion for people. And I've got some hobbies. And I can just keep going all the way down the list. Now, when I start to make a list of all the things that I have actually going for me in my life, you want to know what happens? My anxiety that's flared up because of something completely goes away. And I realize I've got a whole lot more going for me than I do have going against me. It's just easy to see the negative. But in life, we got to look at what we have, the positive, God, and all of that stuff, and we got to begin to put it to use. Now, for some of you, your list might be long and it might be short, but let me ask you this. Do you believe God is for you? Do you have Jesus in your heart? Okay, I know this is hard. That's all you need. You say, but I want all that other stuff. You can have all that other stuff, but if you didn't, that's all you need. Do you understand that? If we really believe that Jesus fixes everything, then Jesus is all we need. And if you want to have a spouse and kids and a better job and more friends and all that stuff, here's the great part. The Bible talks about that, and that can actually happen too. But if all you had was God and Jesus, it's all good. Look at your neighbor. Say, it's all good. Will you be my friend? See, it's all good. Listen, don't just look at what's wrong. Also look at what is right as, as grace comes. Okay, how could they, when they've been beaten, falsely charged, worship God? Well, maybe Paul leaned over to Silas and said, well, there's a lot of bad, but we're not dead. And if we're not dead, then God's not done. I'd say the same for you. You're here today. If you're going through a hard time, if you're here, God is not done. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're singing hymns to God. There's other prisoners. They're listening to them. Now, I want you to notice this. They were praying. They were singing when they're bound up in prisons. In other words, God had not delivered them from prison. There was no miraculous provision. There was no miracle. They were, watch here, praising God at this moment, in this moment, for the what. No, no, no. They were praising him for the who. Let me make sense of that. It's not a matter of what. It's about God. And they were saying, look, God, here's the deal. Even if I'm still in prison, you're still good. 
even if things are going against me, I know you're still for me. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king? Nebuchadnezzar, here's the deal. We're not going to bow to your false idol. We're not going to live the way you want us to live. We believe that God is true and that God is going to come. And then they coined this phrase, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your false god. That's the type of faith that we need to have. That even if we are stuck in this prison of whatever it may be, that we pray to God, we give him our anxiety, we worship him in hymns, and even if the world is still against us, God, you're still good. And I won't walk away from it. I get so frustrated. I said it really mean, huh? I get so frustrated over the past year of all these people that have proclaimed Christ at such a high level, turning from their faith, saying God was never real, ministering for over 20 to 30 years, and then being able to say, well, you know what? I just don't believe it anymore. That didn't happen overnight. It happened over a period of time. At some point, I'm here to declare, at some point, something happened in their life. And because they weren't delivered the way they felt they should be delivered, they gave up on God. And so many of us, whether we realize it or not, we're asking God, God, make it happen this way. But let, let, me, let me ask you a question. Does God know best? Does he know best? Are his ways higher than your ways? Are his thoughts higher than your thoughts? Maybe your way of being delivered from the situation isn't the best thing for you. We don't like to preach about that because we want to feel good. Whew. Listen, if you live your life based on your feelings, you will be disappointed. Feelings make great servants horrible masters. doesn't matter what I feel. It matters what I believe. And I believe God to be good. So Paul and Silas are going, okay, cool. We're just going to, we're going to, God, you're good. So we're going to worship you, not for the what, but for the who. What's the spoiler alert to the story? You guys know it. We read it. They begin to pray. They begin to sing songs. The walls begin to shake. The chains fall off. Everyone is free. But here's the crazy part. Why did that not happen for Paul when he went to Rome to preach the gospel. Think about this. Two stories, right? Okay. Would God want the gospel to go out? Of course he would. God knew as well as Paul did that Rome was the central hub. Did he or did he not? So why did God not answer Paul's prayer and release him from that prison the first time when he went to Rome? but yet he did on this time. I believe with all of my heart, it's because God is always trying to find a way, whether it's in Paul's life or your or my life, to deal with us individually. And I believe Paul needed to be able to say, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that God, here's, my, here's what I would like to do, here's what I want to do, but hey, you know what, God? I trust you, and your plan is much greater than mine. 
I read you the verse. Remember what Paul said? It all happened for the sake of the gospel. God answered it differently, and sometimes God is going to answer your situations differently, but keep in mind he is always going to answer because he is a good God, and you are his child. So Paul being able to do this to me is unbelievable. Paul was able to praise in advance, not even knowing if his chains would fall. Not even knowing if he would live. He praised before the miracle happened. And my question to you is, can you praise God in your life before the answer comes to pass? Here's what I believe. It's a matter of your perspective. As the worship team comes and begins to prepare, it's a matter of your perspective. Paul had the perspective of praise, and it was deep. Now, here's the thing. One of my first steps, one of my first steps personally for me in dealing with my anxiety took place uh, I'd say almost, almost two years ago now. So you guys have heard me throughout this series begin to talk about the anxiety that I was facing. If you haven't been able to join us, uh, it's been a long three years. Now again, my story's not any harder than anybody else's. It's just different. We all have different stories. But my anxiety got to a place two years ago where it became dangerous. Now don't worry, I didn't do anything illegal or anything I shouldn't. I didn't have to step down from ministry. But I'm going to give you this scenario, okay? Every Thursday, I would drive to Bakersfield for our, our weekly staff meetings. We would have a staff meeting with our Bakersfield crew, and then the campus pastors from all of our different campuses would drive in, and that's where we strategize. That's where we talk about what's going on. That's where we begin to work on systems and all the stuff that you guys are probably going like, oh, um, welcome to the life of a pastor. But every single Thursday was when I would go. So I would wake up, and I'm an early riser anyways, and I would begin to drive to Bakersfield. But two years ago, it became incredibly difficult. My life here as a pastor, love everything that I do, is very busy. And so the time getting on the road was the only time where it's almost like all of the, ah, just calm down. Couldn't work on my computer as I was driving. Number one, it's illegal. Secondly, it's dangerous. Number three, I'd get motion sickness. <laughs> I can't let anybody else drive because I get the same way too, even in the front seat. I don't know why. And for whatever reason, I, um, I did not deal with the death of my brother at all. And my wife, Vanessa, made that very clear to me. Um, I did not grieve. I did not process it. I didn't get help. I took care of family. I put on a strong face. I started pastoring this church, and it was a transition of all of that. It all happened all at once. So I didn't deal with it. So about a year after he had passed was this two-year mark of me driving back and forth to Bakersfield. And it finally hit me very, very hard to the point where I literally had to pull over sobbing uncontrollably, body shaking. And I hid this from my wife, and I hid this from Pastor Wendell, who's a senior pastor, and I kept it to myself. And every Thursday, 
I would drive back and forth. And whether it was a song that I heard or whether it was just silence, I would have a breakdown. I've never had that happen before. I've, I've had things happen in my life that would cause me to be maybe just as hurt, but I had never had an issue like this to where I couldn't focus and I couldn't drive. So I finally came home one day and I finally said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And Vanessa knew something was wrong. And so I opened up to her and I told her, I said, this is what I'm facing and I don't know what to do. And so her advice was, well, number one, we're going to pray. That's my wife right there. We're going to pray and then we're going to get you some help. She says, you need to let Pastor Wendell know. And so that's what I did. I let my senior pastor know, and I said, hey, I, I don't think I need a break. I, I think people in life, maybe even you, you go through things much harder than what I'm going through. I don't think I need to take a break from ministry. I just think I need to get open, and I need to get some help. And he agreed, and so I started the process of getting help. And I started the process of opening up, number one, to my, to my wife, but then also, two to my, my leader. To my, my, I don't call him my boss. I call him my pastor. And all of a sudden, I begin to get some help. And then here's why I say all of this, okay? And then we're going to stand and we're going to do something. I say all of this because I was so lost in my hurt that my perspective said this. This is just me. It doesn't have to be you. This is just me. My perspective said, it is always going to be this way. It'll never change. I'm always going to be hurt. I'm always going to miss. And of course, we've had some other deaths take place that were just as important, if not more. And so it hit again, and then it hit again. And so my perspective was completely gone. Now, I say all of that to say this. Again, I'm not going to bleed over you anymore (laughs) in this series or whatever. Thank you for letting me be open and be honest, but... I had to get a perspective change. And I had to realize that God is bigger than my hurt. And God is bigger than my anxiety. And God is going to walk me through all of this. And it's going to be okay. And then one day, it's going to be a lot like the Apostle Paul. Where I'm going to be able to say that because of what I've had to endure, because of what I've had to go through, it's actually helped further my influence with people. And it's actually going to get me to a place where one day I'm going to be able to say the words of what I was feeling and what I was going through. And there might be someone in a crowd or it might be someone at a bank or it might be someone at the gym or it might be someone walking around this neighborhood where they begin to say, I've experienced incredible loss and I'm devastated and I don't know what to do. And I'm going to be able to say, well, let me just tell you something about a good God who loves you and wants to help you and wants to comfort you. For the Bible says that those who mourn, he will comfort. Though though sorrow comes in the night, joy begins to come in the morning. Can I tell you about a better day where you're not going to be feeling what you're feeling anymore because God's going to come and he's going to visit you and he's going to comfort you. And matter of fact, could I just introduce you to this guy by the name of Jesus who has radically changed my life, who has given me a purpose, who has been with me through all of it, Would you like to know this, Jesus? See, what I'm saying to you is when you change your perspective and you get to a place where you let God do what he's going to do, God's going to use you.
And you've got to understand, you've got to change your perspective and allow God to do that. So I want you to stand with me. Stand with me in this moment. Here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that I, listen, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe with you that if you were in this room and you've got some anxiety, some depression, some worry, some doubt, and some fear, here is our prayer today. Today, as you begin to praise, walls are going to shake and chains are going to fall. You say, this sounds a little different. It sounds a little weird. It sounds like the Bible to me. Because as Sai, hey Sai, as Sai had a conversation with Paul, hey, this is a tough, tough little spot. I don't know how many get out of this. Do you know that, 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 that uh, oh, I got an idea. What's that? We should, uh, we should pray. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And, oh, there's that one song. Uh, I'm not going to sing, Sai, because, well, you're the singer and you've got that. But there's a one song about, um, oh, you know, you're, you're never, ever going to let me down. Oh, yeah. And then it goes on. It talks about how you are, you are good. You are good. So it goes like that. You know that song? And see, what happens is, is you begin to go like, hey, like, man, God's good. And God's for me. And God's with me, and he's never going to let me down. So what begins to happen is you begin to close your eyes in this moment. Go ahead, just begin to close. And in a moment, I want you to take your hands, and I want you to just begin to lift them over this place. And I want you to declare that if you're feeling something, if you've got anxiety going on, that as the band begins to sing, you begin to lift your hands, and you begin to worship, and you begin to declare with your praise that God is good. Come on, if you need him here today, let's begin to do it. Come on, let's begin to do it. Begin to sing to Him. Come on, begin to worship to Him. Come on, begin to praise Him. Yeah, come on. Yeah, come on, praise Him, church. Thank you. 